Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Now, before uh, we pray and before uh, I start getting into the text for today, um, just a small plug. Who likes dancing? Show of hands. You're allowed to put your hands up if you like dancing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Who likes watching dancing? Cool. Well, here's the thing. I had the opportunity this week to go and see Flawless. Who likes Flawless? Those guys are amazing. Those guys are off the hook. If you have an opportunity to go and see Flawless, the Peacock Theatre now, and just go and book online. But they are fantastic. Now, why do I say all this? It's because I was there watching these guys, and they are fantastic. Pretty much almost flawless. And as I was watching them, and I just saw how they were doing their dance moves, and they had, some, they had everything, you know, structured, and they had the beginning, the middle, and the end. It was just fantastic, because I was just thinking, wow, these guys are amazing, just what they're producing. And, and within it, they were just doing backflips. They were doing all these movements, and <laughs> which I can't do, obviously, as you can see. They were doing some dance moves, and I was thinking, yo, you guys are heavy. But as I was sitting there, I was thinking... You guys are flawless. <laughs> but I serve the God who is flawless. I serve the God who has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And within it, he shows us wicked things. Heavy moves. Heavy moves. Displayed for us out in the scripture. And I just was there just observing and thinking, God, you're heavy. You're heavy in the fact that you have blessed these guys with the ability, the talent, to do these things. Now, they're not necessarily doing it to his glory, but man, what a wonderful God we serve, who will give us the ability to be able to dance, the ability to be able to sing, to be creative, to draw and do all those. What a wonderful God. And we're able to do that because he is creative. Everything starts with him. We're able to do these things because he has given us the ability to do it. And so I was taken aback. And I just had to share that. Can I get an amen? amen. Go and see Flawless. You will not be disappointed. So, today, as we look in the scriptures, it's a heavy portion of scripture. And as we consider what we will be looking at today in Ephesians chapter 1, you know, what I would like us to do um, is to have in our minds the fact that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, this epistle, from a prison cell in Rome. Just kind of like have that at the back of your mind. And even though this was the case, 
we see that Paul didn't allow his situation or his circumstances to affect him. Because he was totally assured of what we looked at last week, his position in Christ. He was seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so he writes this letter to encourage these believers in Ephesus to have the same assurance of knowing who they are in Christ and to use this truth to walk with Christ and to stand for their faith. So, as we looked at last week, verses 1 and 2, after Paul's greeting and and his salutation of verses 1 and 2, what we actually find is that the next 12 verses in the original Greek text are in fact one long, continuous sentence. It is one unit of thought. Somebody actually took the time to count the words, and it's 202 words with no full stops in the original Greek text. And so, the primary focus of what Paul will be sharing, what I will be trying to explain what Paul is trying to communicate, is giving praise and honor to the Godhead for all that they have done. And so, again, that's another thing you kind of have to put in the back of your mind somewhere or in the forefront of your mind. That this text, although it says so many different things, its purpose, its primary focus is giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto unto God, unto the Godhead. Amen? So, what I'm going to try to do is attempt to read this and try not to break it. I don't know if I'm going to do that, but try not to break it, but try and read it as Paul would have written it. So, you ready? Amen. Verse 3. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he may gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him." In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that he, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purpose possession, purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Right. Wow. <laughs> now you can read that and get lost. 
Because there's just so much. It is packed. But I tried to re- read it with enthusiasm because that is the tone. The tone is that, that Paul is in this prison cell. Paul is looking at the scriptures. He's meditating on God. And the Spirit of God reveals to him. He gives him a glimpse of the mystery of the ages. He gives him a glimpse of the plan of the ages. And it's like, even though Paul is in this position, or even though Paul is in this situation, it doesn't matter. He's just breaking out and he's saying, praise God. And he starts listing out all the reasons why he wants to praise God. He is praising God. And all the reasons why the first-hand re- listeners, the, the, the believers in Ephesus, should be praising God. And the reason why we here today should give praise and honor and glory to God. And as I said, there's so much <laughs> in this portion of Scripture. You know, um, it'd be quite easy to camp on particular phrases or particular words. And the truth is, for those of you who are Bible scholars, is that many, many books have been written regarding this portion of Scripture. Many, many books have been written about Ephesians. Many, many discussions have been made. And many, many groups have unfortunately split because they don't agree on what they believe is being communicated in this portion of Scripture. So my intention today is to, not to cause any controversy, but, um, but just look at the text. And as we look at the text, search for the blessing in what Paul is trying to communicate to us. So, again, I want to try and do this in the unit of thought which is trying to be, trying to be conveyed, which is primarily giving glory to God. And so, as we look at this portion... What we notice is that it actually has two bookends of praise. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 14, if you have your Bibles and you can look in there, it says, To the praise of his glory. So we have this, this praise element here because that is the unit of thought. I'm repeating myself, but I just need to communicate that. So everything... In between this now is going to be a description of the glorious way in which salvation has been granted to us by God the Father. How salvation has been secured for us by Christ Jesus the Son. And how salvation has been mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. And... Once we get a grasp of this, once we see this truth, really the only thing that we should be able to do, the only response that we should have is to praise God, is to bless God, to look and think, you're too much, you're heavy, you are the flawless one. 
The song we were singing, Beautiful One. He's, more, he's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so, verse 3, it says, Blessed be. That's how it starts. And the word blessed is eulogitos. And that's where we get our uh, English word eulogy from. And this actually means to give tribute, to praise, to give homage, to exalt. That is what this word actually means. And the specific member of the Godhead who Paul has in focus to be praised, to be honored, and to be extolled is God the Father. So we start with, blessed be the God and Father. He is the Father of, look at the text, our Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately, as we observe the text, we see that there is an intimate relationship being described between the Father and the Son, and then between the Father, the Son, and us. Because he is our Lord. Now, we may take this for granted because we just know God as Father. And we look in the scriptures and we can, say, we can see how we can cry out and call him Abba Father. But in the Old Testament, referring to God as Father was not a done thing. So much so that in the Old Testament, when they were writing the scriptures, they would not write out the name of God. Because they revered it so much and they saw it as so holy. But now in the New Testament, through the cross, we can call God our Father. And that's a blessing all in itself. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now, I'm going to take my time. But... The blessings in this verse, as you, if you can see it, it flows two ways. In that we are able to bless God because he has blessed us. And the blessings that Paul is going to describe are unique. As they are not natural blessings... They're not material blessings, which the Father has blessed us with. But he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, these spiritual blessings, there's nothing we can do to earn them. These spiritual blessings are solely wrapped up in the Godhead. And they're administered to us by the Holy Spirit, who, if you're a born-again believer, dwells within you. Therefore, what is trying to be communi- what is being communicated here is that because we have the living God dwelling within us, we have everything we need. Nothing is withheld from us from, from God. And so, these spiritual blessings are the way and the means in which we find strength. These spiritual blessings are the, ways, are the means in which 
which Paul will go on to develop within this epistle, that we are to wage spiritual warfare. Because, again, as it says in the text as we go on, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in heavenly places. Therefore, we need something spiritual to fight them with. And all that we need, God has given to us. The only problem is obtaining them. The only problem is how do we make these spiritual blessings a reality in our lives? That's the key. And, and Ephesians tries to help us to understand that. Ephesians tries to help us apply those spiritual gifts spiritual blessings now again it's interesting because we look at in the new testament the blessings are spiritual but in the old testament israel's blessings were just physical they were external they were financial they were military if you obey me i'll 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 make you go into battle and you won't lose a single member of your army if you obey me your your harvest you would reap a, a, a harvest every year If you obey me, then you have sons and daughters within your house. Physical, natural blessings. But they were temporal blessings. But these blessings are spiritual. They are internal. Having the Holy Spirit dwelling within us so that when we... Our conscience pricks us. The Holy Spirit pricks us when we know that we've done something wrong, when we know we're going to do something wrong. And he challenges and says, don't do that. They're internal. They're there to bring about change from the inside. And they're given to us, again, as I've said before, to strengthen us and enable us to stand. Stand when the going gets tough. Stand when everything within us wants to say, I give up. I want to throw in the towel. I can't be bothered with this Christian malarkey anymore. I just want to go and do my own thing. That's when we need to rely on the Spirit of God to strengthen us in those moments of weakness. But more than that, the unique thing about these blessings is that they are found Not in a thing, not in an event, but in the person of Christ Jesus. They're in Christ. And again, because we are in Christ, we have all of these spiritual blessings available to us. And you know, that whole concept, the whole thought which Paul would just keep repeating and repeating and repeating within this epistle about being in Christ. Before we were in Christ, where were we? Who were we in? Okay, family, you don't know. We were all in Adam. That's, that was our position. We were in Adam. And being in Adam meant that we were in disobedience. Being in Adam meant that we just lived carnal lives. Being in Adam meant that we were going to one destination. And that was hell. Separation from God. But now we are in Christ. We live in a different realm. 
We live by a different set of ordinances and principles. And again, within this epistle, Paul wants to drive that home. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. And knowing that you're in Christ should make you act differently. Should make me act differently. And so, from verse Paul, verse 4, Paul outlines the reason why he is so excited about these blessings and why he cannot help but praise God. And he does this by outlining doctrinal aspects of God's glorious plan and his eternal purpose. Now, last week I mentioned that the book of Ephesians is split evenly into three chapters which deals with doctrine and three chapters which deals with duty, practical aspects of our walk. And so we're going to have to start to get into doctrinal aspects right now, and it may be uncomfortable. But again, let's look at the text. So it says, verse 4 says, just as, and I'm going to stop there, because the just as, you, you, have, to, you have to bear with me, the just as links what he's going to say to the verse before. Okay? It links it, and we have to link it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So what Paul is doing from this prison cell is that he's looking back to the past. And in looking back to the past, again, I've got to say it, he's overwhelmed. He's breaking out. He's like, yes. He recognizes that God the Father... The Almighty God. I've got to try and help you get this. The self-existent one. The one who created all things. Who created time. Who is not bound by sequential ordering. The Almighty God who's able to step into history. And still not disrupt time. Or abuse the laws of nature. Paul looks back and he says, Wow, the Almighty God, before the foundation of the world, chose me. And that rocks his world. It blew him away. And as we look at this, the fact is true for us as well. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you to be in relationship with him. And this was before anything was created. Before anything was created in the material realm, God chose you. God chose me to be in relationship with him. And... I said, Paul looked back to the past, but 
you've even got to look further back than the past. And we, in our finite minds, cannot even look back to the past because we think of things in time. That's how we think of it. We think of things of having, as having a starting point and a finishing point. But what Paul is revealing to us here is that before there was a starting point, before there was a finishing point, God chose you. Now, that is messy. For a lot of people, that is hard to receive. Because for a lot of people... You want to know that you did something in the choosing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to preach Calvinism here. But the doctrine of election was in the scriptures well before Calvinism. It's there. And as we come across the text, as we come across the scriptures, we have to teach what the Bible says. And so, God chose Paul. And you know, in thinking about this, I just thought that God knowing that Paul would have, would have, would have tortured, would have killed, would have persecuted believers, he still chose him. To know that God will look at all of us here and know we've all got our secrets, we've all got our BC, come on now. But he still chose us. And that is powerful. And as I said, if you comprehend that, if you, if you catch that, it should change the way you think. It should change the way you act. It rocked Paul's well to the point where he was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. D- kill me. It doesn't matter. Because God chose me. And ultimately, he chose me to be in relationship with him in eternity. So it doesn't really matter. That's where Paul was coming from. And, you know, if we can just put this in the framework of the first-hand listeners of this epistle, the Ephesians. You know, knowing, as I mentioned last week, that they were coming out of a culture, out of a background where there was a a lot of spirituality. They were were in the occult. They They were used to demonic activity. We, we read about in Acts 19 about the sons of Sceva and, and, you know, the, the Jews trying to exercise demons. So they're used to these things. And to know that, you know, when they came out of that, they wanted to be assured that, you know what, if I'm coming out of that which I know is heavy, I want to know that the God I'm serving is a bad boy. I want to know that he is heavy. And so Paul is is. is right into these guys and saying, do you know what? He's not just heavy, he is heavy. He, create, he controls all things. So Paul is excited. And, you know, for these first-hand listeners, again, it would have given them, it would encourage them. It would have given them value. It would have given them worth. You know, and, and many times, that's what we need as well. We need to know that we're, we're, we're valued and that we have worth, that we're appreciated. And to know that before anything was ever created, God chose you, wow, that's deep. That should give us worth. 
That shouldn't make us think, oh me. Now, I've got to try and balance this whole thing. So, as I said, the biblical doctrine of election is in the scriptures for all to see. How God chooses, why he chooses, why he chose you, why he chose me, we don't know. But what it does is, is that it reveals his sovereignty. And I'm sure that all of us will agree that God is sovereign. It reveals that we do believe that everything starts with God and everything ends with God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. We say these things. We quote these things. We pray these things. So we do believe it. And how he does it, why he does it, we don't know. He is God. Psalm 139, my wife's favorite psalm. Verse 6 says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain unto it. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 says, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me this way? How, who are we to question God why he's done what he's done and how he's done it? If God has decided to choose us, that's his choice. None of us were there before time to say, you know what, no, Lord, you shouldn't do it that way, you know. You should actually do it this way. We weren't there. And so, as we look through the text we just read, you know, verse 5, it says, he did it according to the pleasure of his will. Verse 9 says, it was according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Verse 11 says, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Not your will, not my will, his will. Deuteronomy. This is a lovely verse for you to highlight in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. And to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So the secret things belong to God, but what He has revealed, we need to be obedient and walk within it. That's what we need to do. Now, we have to stay there for a little while. And the fact is, based on God's own independent sovereign, sovereign will, you know, as we look through the scriptures, there are many occasions where God 
chose specific individuals throughout the ages. Why he chose them, how he chose them, he knows. He chose Abraham. Abraham was not out there looking for God. God turned up and says, I'm calling you. I want you to do this. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. So God came to him first. God was the instigator. Now, a big word here now. Theocratically, God chose Israel to be his nation. If you turn to Deuteronomy, stay in there, chapter 7, verse 6, which says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He decided he was going to love Israel, so he chose them. Vocationally, within, the tribe, within Israel, he chose Levi. Why did he choose Levi? He just decided to. And we see that in Deuteronomy 18. In the Gospels, you know, if we've got a problem with Moses, let's, talk, let's listen to Jesus. Jesus says, you know, you did not choose me, I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So, it's throughout the scriptures, God deciding, God choosing, and doing it because he's purposed in his own will to do it. Even salvation, the whole plan of salvation, it says that it was secured before time began. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Second Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We get in the picture. The kingdom of God, it was established before time began. Christ being crucified before time began. And so we cannot get away from the doctrine of election. But it needs to be balanced. Only balanced because although it is Bible, it is scripture, 
that God chose, he elected and predestined. We still have that element in the, in the scriptures, which is equally Bible, which says, whosoever will. Now, a lot of people don't like that. Because a lot of us, when we look at the Bible, we want, we want, we want it to be one thing or the other. You know, because in our Western thinking, that's how we think. It's got to be that or it's got to be that. And within Jewish culture, within the Eastern world, they didn't think like that. Not necessarily related to this, but they, 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 they thought cyclical in patterns. You know, they didn't think, well, that prophecy must equal that fulfillment. And that prophecy must equal... No, we could have one prophecy, but we could have multiple fulfillments, but an ultimate fulfill- fulfillment. Do you see? And so, within, as we read this, we have to see that just as election is Bible, whosoever will is also Bible. How you marry the two, again, the secret things belong to God. <laughs> they belong to God. I don't know. And... You know, D.L. Moody said, I'm glad that God chose me before the foundation of the world because he would not have chosen me after I was born. (laughs) And we can all bear witness to that. So, we have election. It's there. It's in your Bible. It is truth. I will stand on election. Because God is sovereign, and I believe God is sovereign. But also, you know, when we have all these verses, which are the whosoever will, we look and we see that man has responsibility. There has to be responsibility. And, you know, salvation, there's one way to receive salvation. Now, And all of us in this room, if you are a born-again believer, we all received it the same way. There isn't one way for Maurice over here and one way for me. There isn't one way for Pastor E at the back there and another way for Mark 5, because you're the first person my eyes just drew over to me. It's one way. You see? And so, because there's one way, we all have to accept it. Somewhere along the line, we have to make a choice to accept it and say, yeah, thank you, Lord. It's a free gift. I'll take it. And so we have to balance this individual responsibility. And so we have these verses which says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I also will confess before my Father in heaven. Individual responsibility. Romans 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Jesus said, no, 1 John, it says, whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. So there's an acknowledgement there. I acknowledge you. I receive you. Individual responsibility. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 19. 
favorite of mine. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that first come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And so, individual responsibility, being balanced. Now, I'm not sure how much of a balance it is, but it's balanced there in the text. And as we look at even human responsibility, we can see that it gets messy again because we can only choose God because he first chose us. It gets like that. And you know what? It's beautiful because, again, as I said, we we like to think of things in in boxes and it must be that or it must be this. But what we actually have, we, we have that beautiful tension. There's tension there. So that you and I won't get to a place where we think, well, I'm chosen. That means I can do whatever I want because God chose me. Now, none of us think like that, do we? But there's a tension there. You know, in Titus, the lovely verse in Titus, um, I'll read from verse 1 of Titus 1, chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So what's he saying there? He's saying that, you know, there is a, there is a plan of the ages. <laughs> God has chosen me before time began, but you know what? I can't just sit on that. I still need to go out and preach. I need to do something about it. And so we have the whosoever will. And, you know, there's a a beautiful illustration which is often given, which is as we approach heaven's doors and we see the doorpost, we see the words whosoever will. And then as we walk through the door and we go out to the other side and we look back, we see chosen from the foundation of the world. So it's a beautiful picture. It keeps everything in tension. Now, the purpose of the spiritual blessings, or verse 3, and the purpose of God choosing us, electing us before the foundation of, of the world as I said before, it's not so that we can have an excuse to do what we want. The purpose is so that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 says that we should be holy because God is holy. So, Within our Christian walk, that is what we should be aiming for, holiness. But, again, it's strange because what Paul is really highlighting here is that our position in Christ is that we are holy. It's a positional truth. And 
as we see that positional truth, as we accept it, again, we're meant to rest in it. We're meant to acknowledge it and say, that's my position. And then we have that aspect of we rest in it, sit, we walk in it, and then we stand in it. And we are holy, as we know, because Christ is our holiness. But we have to outwork this practically. Because within Ephesians, we have doctrine and practice. The two have to be married together. It's no good just knowing all this stuff, talking a good game, and you can't outwork it. And so there has to be a practical outworking of this element of holiness within our lives. So that our practice, in a sense, becomes equivalent to our position. And God's motive, if we can even look for a motive for God having this purpose for us, it may sound corny, but it's because of his love. You know, God doesn't just show love. He isn't an aspect of love. The scriptures tells us that God is love. And as we look at, you know, the famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, we see that, you know, love doesn't seek its own. Love desires to give. Love doesn't parade itself. You know, we need to look at these elements in love and then look at our lives and say, well, you know, do I live my life in a reality of love? Do I love my neighbor as, a, as, as myself? Do I love my children as they should be loved? Do I love, you know, my work colleagues, the ones especially get on my nerves and I just want to slap? I didn't really say that. I don't have anyone I want to slap. No. <laughs> Strike that from the record. But you know what I'm saying. It's like love. Do we act? You know, there's times when we, our mind just go away from us. Somebody does something to us, and we just think, Aah. and we have to, you know, capture ourselves, take every thought captive, and bring it under the subjection of Christ. And we have to say, you know what? I need to, I need to walk in love. I need to operate in love towards this person. I need to, you know, not be offended, but see a bigger picture, see what's really going on here. And it's a challenge. But you know what? We've got the spirit of, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. So it's not impossible. So the purpose is so that we would be holy, that we would walk in love. And that, you know, we should be without blame before him. You know, ultimately, as children of God, God wants us to reflect him. And reflect him well. You know, we don't want to start telling people, yeah, yeah, you know what, I believe in God, I'm a child of the king. And they look at us and think, are you a child of the king? And that's how you go on. Mm-mm, I don't think so. If that's your God, mm-hmm. we want to reflect him well. That's what God desires from his children, that we would walk blamelessly before him. And again, we see within this that 
we are able to love, as I said before, because God first loved us. If God didn't love us in the first place, would we be able to love? I don't know. But his love, it's like it's pushing. It's desiring just to give, and he wants to encourage, and he he just wants to pour out his love. And within this love, you know, he, as verse 5 says, you know, he has predestined us to adoption as sons. Because of his love, you know, we haven't just got a relationship with God where we're just his, his brethren, his friends, or his servants. We're sons, we're daughters. And if you're a parent here, if you can think of the love you have for your, your, your children, I mean, quantify that, and then you would see the aspect and the element of love which God has for us. He's adopted us. And in, and in the ancient world, in the Roman, in the Roman world at this, this, this point here, if you was adopted as a son, you had all the rights and all the privileges if, if you was a natural-born son or daughter. And so that's what's being communicated. We have all the same rights in God, in Christ. It's like he's withheld nothing from us. Now, these things blow me away. You know, once you start actually delving into the text and you start looking at things and the Spirit of God starts doing things to your mind, you're like, Lord, you're just too much. You're so good. And to know that we are in this privileged position of knowing that we were in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. That's heavy. We were adopted and in close relationship with God before the foundation of the world. And again, as God's children, we need to act like him. And more than that, we need to give him praise, give him glory because he deserves it. You know, all the adoration, he deserves it. All the praise, he deserves it. And you know, the Bible says, if we don't praise his name, even the rocks will cry out. And my encouragement to you is that, you know what, take the opportunity to praise his name. Otherwise, God might say, you're not going to do it. I'm going to bypass you and allow the rocks to cry out. And so, as we finish, Paul breaks out this small section here, verse 6. We close here and we pick up again in verse 7 next week. He breaks out again to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us Accepted in the beloved. We are accepted. These Ephesian believers were accepted. And it is to the glory of his grace. Because he is the one who made it happen. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that um, 
you are God. You are the Almighty. That we could be in relationship with you, Lord, as sons, as, as daughters, Lord, as your children. That, Lord, you would give us a picture of where we're coming from so that we would know exactly where we're going, Lord Jesus. And it's beautiful. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that these truths, Lord, that they would just rest within our hearts and minds. That they would challenge us, Lord Jesus. That we would even take time, Lord, to look into your word, Lord, and just um, seek you. So that we could study to show ourselves approved unto you, Lord. And so we commit this rest of this time into your hands, Lord. We thank you for it. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do what we cannot do for ourselves because you are sovereign, you are God. And so we thank you for this time again in Jesus' name. Amen.